All right, well, hey, everybody, welcome to Eagle Church. Really good to have you with us today if you're at one of our campuses or if you're watching this message online. Hey, before I dive in, I'm still battling this cold that I had last week, and by the time you get me at 11 o'clock, I've already spoken a couple times. So I think I'm gonna be fine, but if I start losing steam partway through, I apologize uh, for that. Hey, we are in the fourth week of a series called Made for More. Too many people just drift through life. Too many people go through life really unsure of what their purpose is, unsure of why God created them or who he created them to be. Let me ask you, what is your purpose? Could you just describe that to me in a sentence? Tragically, some people go through their life and their purpose or their target is status, money, success, other people liking them. They're shooting for the wrong target. They stand before God one day and find out that he had a different target in mind. And so what we've been trying to do in this series is to help you shoot for targets that actually matter, trying to help you discover the more that you've been made for. And what we've said is you have to dream big, you have to find your why, you gotta start small, and this week's message might be the most important of all. This week's message is titled, The Who Matters. Wouldn't you agree that life is better with other people? I mean, I've always said I'd rather be in Green Bay, Wisconsin with my wife than in Hawaii without her. And that's saying something if you know uh, how I would feel about that. I mean, life is better with other people. You can have money and status, you can have power and prestige, you can have fame, fortune, and followers, and if you don't have a couple close friends, if you don't have a couple close family members, and most importantly, if you don't have a relationship with the God who created you, you could get to the top of that mountain someday, the mountain that you've been climbing your whole life, and look around and go, wait a minute, is this all that there is? So let me ask you, is there one person in your life, maybe outside your immediate family, who knows you and cares about you? Is there one person in your life that you would say sees the real you on a regular basis? When my two oldest sons were just five and three years old, they were really into imaginary dress-up games. And so one night, they were dressing up as Spider-Man and Superman, and they wanted Sarah and me to dress up as a cowboy and an Indian. And I have no idea how those two things related to one another. But I was the cowboy, so I had on a cowboy hat and a little stick horse that I could gallop around on. And Sarah was the Indian, so she had like a bow and arrow set that she was shooting. And the way that our house works is you kind of move from the kitchen to the living room, back into the foyer, and you go around in a circle. So we were chasing each other around the house, and all of a sudden I looked up, and I saw my neighbor's silhouette in his living room window. <laughs> and then immediately his light went off which is a dead giveaway. And I thought to myself, oh, he must be enjoying watching my little kids all dressed up, you know, just running around the house in circles. And that's when I realized something. He couldn't see my little kids. They were too short and my window was up too high. So all that he could see was me galloping through our kitchen like this. And then Sarah's chasing after me going, woo, 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 woo. <laughs> you kind of wonder what he thought we were doing, don't you? <laughs> I saw him the next day, I swear he looked at me a little bit funny. Now, I just pulled the shades and we just kept going. I thought this would be good for his imagination kind of thing. And wonders what we're doing. But here's my point. Some people live their lives like that. Some people dress up and try to pretend to be someone that they're really not. They have a certain image online or at work. 
but their real feelings are far from that. Some people pull the shades whenever another person starts to see their life, starts to see the real them, especially the not-so-pretty parts. But I love what author Jenny Allen had to say about this in her book. She says this, do you want deeper friends? And I remember reading that question and thinking, well, yeah. I think everybody does. Do you feel left out? Here's a secret, she says, about all my closest friends. They need me, and they show it all the time. Now, right away, I thought, well, what does she mean by that, that they need me and they show it all the time? How is that the secret to having deeper friends? She goes on and she gives a little bit of practical advice. She says, ask your neighbor to run to the mall with you. Borrow a rake instead of Amazon Prime it. Save a seat at church for someone. She says, swap childcare instead of hiring a sitter. Ask a friend to go to chemo with you. Tell someone that you need a training partner for a race. Ask for advice. And then here's her main point. She says, we, leave we lead independently lonely lives. We don't want to bother people, so we don't. And then we wonder why we don't have any friends. She's right. If you pull the shades every time someone starts to see the real you, especially the not-so-pretty parts of you, if you never want to bother people or ask people to come over or spend time, then you may live an independent life. But most likely, you are going to be lonely. And that's a very dangerous place to be. In 2003, the hiker Aaron Ralston was hiking through the Canyonlands National Forest in Utah, and somehow an 800-pound boulder became dislodged and pinned his arm up against the canyon wall. He was stuck like that for five days, slowly dying of dehydration. Finally, with no other resort, he had to amputate his own arm using a dull pocket knife that he'd been carrying in his bag. I was telling my kids this story, which I'm not sure was a great idea. But they said, did that hurt? I said, well, I'm guessing if you had to amputate your own arm with a pocket knife, that might leave a bruise, right? That might hurt just a little bit. But here's what I found interesting about Ralston's story. He said, I was hiking alone, and so no one would have been searching for me. I was hiking alone, and nobody knew where I was. Now, most likely, you're not hiking in a national forest or you're not pinned up against a canyon wall. But I wonder today if there are some of us who are hiking alone in a different kind of way. That maybe you have anxiety or depression and nobody knows about it, do they? You've got a health issue in your life. You've got an addiction in your life. And nobody knows really where you are. You are hiking alone. In the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, King Solomon, who wrote that book, talks about the dangers of hiking alone and the advantages of traveling with other people. Look at what he says in this verse. He says, if either of them falls down, he's talking about two people together, one can help the other up. But pity anyone, he says, who falls and has no one to help them up. He says, also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, he says, Two can defend themselves. Solomon says, I pity the person who falls down and has no one to pick them up. Question, if you were to fall down in life right now, who would be that person who would be there to pick you up? If your spouse were to die, if you were to hit a financial crisis in your life, who would be that person who would be there for you to pull you up? Because notice that Solomon is describing a world here that is neither, neither safe nor sure. We will fall, he says. 
We will get cold. We will be attacked by another person. He says, that's life. You can't predict when you're going to trip and fall. You can't predict when you're going to shiver in the cold or be threatened by someone else. Solomon's advice, don't hike alone. When you're hiking with other people, they can protect you. They can help pull you up. But when you're on your own, well, good luck. Solomon goes on in the next verse to kind of reinforce his point. He says this, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Now, for obvious reasons, this was my wife and my wedding verse. We had this on our wedding napkins, all over our wedding. If you're new to our church, my last name is Strand. A cord of three strands is not broken. I had people say to me, well, who's the third strand? There's you, there's Sarah. I said, Jesus. I thought we had like a love child or some weird love triangle or something going on. I'm like, no, no, it's, it's Jesus. But here's the point that Solomon's trying to make in this verse. He uses the imagery of a rope that's been crafted together by multiple threads. He says that rope is strong. Even when you twist it, even when you stretch it, even when you pull it, that rope is not going to break. Do you have a cord of three strands in your life? Do you have other relationships that you're so intertwined with them that if you were stretched or pulled in life, you would not break? Solomon says, when we're alone, we're kind of like a single threat. But together, he says, we are a cord of three strands that cannot be broken. Now, as you look at these two pieces of string, which one best represents your life right now? Would you say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm the single string? I mean, I've got some friends. I might even be married. I've got kids. But really what I feel like is this. Or would you say, I'm more intertwined and I could not be broken. Look at what the New Testament says about this. New Testament says, love one another. Serve one another. Carry each other's burdens. Encourage one another. He says, build each other up. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other. Here's my question. Does it look like God wants you to navigate your life alone? Absolutely not. God's purpose for your life is that you would do it with one another. You would do life with each other. That you would have a one another. That you would be a one another for another person. God doesn't want you to hike alone. He doesn't want you to fall and have nobody there to pick you up. So in our time left, let me give you three questions that will help you identify the right people to hike with, here's the first question. Who's hurting you? Who's hurting you? You know, at the risk of starting off on kind of a negative note, the reality is that most of us have friends. I mean, that's not the problem in your life right now, I'm guessing. You, you might have friends. The problem in your life is not that you have friends, it's that the friends you have are actually hurting more than they're helping. If your friends swear all the time, get drunk on the weekend, if they peer pressure you to do things that you know God doesn't want you to do, if they live a generally purposeless kind of life, then it might be time for you to find some new friends. If your friends drain you and deplete you and you get done spending time with them and you go, man, I just feel so discouraged right now, then it might be time to find some new friends. Because look at what Solomon says in the book of Proverbs, which is the other book of the Old Testament that Solomon wrote. He says, walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. Solomon says that when you walk with the wise, you're gonna become what? You're gonna become wise. I mean, you can read a book to become wise, or you can take a class 
You can me- me- memorize a dictionary or an encyclopedia, but if you really want to be wise, he says, walk with wise people. Spend time with wise people. Let me ask you, who are you walking with these days? Are they wise? The guys that you work out with or that you spend time with on a regular basis, do they make you a better husband and a better father? Do the women in your mom's group or that you spend time with regularly, do they help you become a wiser, more godly woman? Do the kids that you go to school with, that you hang out with, do they pull you up towards God or do they tend to pull you down? If the answer is, man, they pull me down, then you may need to prune some of those friendships. When my wife and I moved into our house about eight years ago, there was this oak tree in our backyard that was kind of like a shrub. I mean, it was just a bushy clump of stems that were shooting out in all different directions. And I looked it up, and those stems or those offshoots are called suckers. And they're called suckers because they siphon off water and nutrients from the main branch of the oak tree, causing it not to grow. Question, do you have any suckers in your life right now? Anybody who just seems to siphon off your energy, your joy, and your peace and prevents you from growing? Now, just to be really clear about this, the Bible says that we are to love all people, not just people who fill us up. You know, sometimes I notice that people say, well, I'm going to love that person because they fill me up. Well, it's not about you. You're, You're called to love every single person, even people who drain you. There is a time to let a sucker suck, especially if they're going through a tough time in life. And they need to draw strength from someone. You just go, hey, man, latch on, right? Do what you need to do. But if they're always sucking, if they're always taking, then you may need to do what I did with that oak tree. See, I went out to my garage and I got a pruning shears. And I began to cut those suckers, those stems off so that the main branch of the tree could get the nutrients it needed and grow. Today, that tree is about 20 feet high in my backyard. By the way, this phenomenon doesn't just apply to oak trees. It applies to many areas of life. Years ago, researchers did a study with these little babies, and they gave the babies everything they needed, food, water, except they withheld one thing, relationships. Gave the babies no relational connection. Do you know what they found? They found that those babies didn't grow. They started to lose weight. They were more susceptible to illnesses. They could even develop a condition known as failure to thrive. Here's what I know about some of you. You're not thriving right now. You're just existing. You're not growing the way that God wants you to grow in your life. There's not an increased discipline. There's not an increase of wisdom or holiness in your life. It's a failure to thrive. And the problem is the people who are around you. You need to prune. Now, I've never gone up to someone in my life and said, hey, you are a sucker. You suck the life and the energy right out of me. I can't spend time with you anymore, okay? I wouldn't recommend you do that either. But what I do do is I find people who bring me closer to God, and I intentionally start to spend and shift some of my time from this person over to these people. Or I begin to set some boundaries up on that relationship. But there are some of us here today, you need to ask this question, who's hurting Here's the second question that you need to ask yourself. Who's helping? Who's helping? You know, just like some people can hurt you, there are other people who can actually help you. Look at what author and best-selling psychologist Henry Cloud says about this. He says, the undeniable reality is that how well you do in life and in business depends not only on what you do and how you do it, 
your skills and your competencies, but also on who is doing it with you or to you, who's helping you. Some people think, you know, I got this goal. I want to improve this year. I want to get better as a CEO. I want to get better as a leader, better as a manager, whatever it might be. And they think, okay, I got to develop those skills. Cloud says just as important as those skills is the people who are around you. Are they helping you? Are they helping you get closer to God? And here's the deal. You have to be intentional to find those kinds of relationships. My wife and I were at a family camp recently, and uh, we were hanging out with some friends, some couples of ours that we're friends with. And at one night, we were up in the dining center rather late, and the guys were sitting at one table, and the girls were at another. So at about 11 o'clock or so, I went over to the girls' table, and I said, hey, Sarah, we got we to gotta get back and meet the babysitter at 11 o'clock. And she gave me this look like, you go, I'll just meet you back there. And I looked, and one of the women at her table was talking, and she was crying. And all the other women were like leaning in intently to listen. And so when Sarah got back to our room, I said, what were you guys talking about? She said, oh, we were talking about our relationship with God and what our childhood was like and how we came to faith in Christ. And it was so emotional. She said, what were you guys talking about? Uh, insurance premiums getting kind of high. I said, you know, we had a really spirited debate about what's the best sugary cereal. I was surprised Captain Crunch was the winner of that conversation. Now, obviously that illustrates that men and women are, can be a little bit different at times, but I thought about it afterwards. And I thought, what is it that's so hard to talk to people about our faith? I mean, all of us sitting at that table, all of us guys were Christians. Two of us were pastors on staff at this church. And yet it never crossed my mind to ask someone, hey, how, how are things going really in your life? Or is there anything I can pray for you about? Or what's going on in your relationship with God lately or your marriage? Never thought once to ask any of those kinds of questions. Here's what I want to know. Is there one person in your life that you can talk to about your faith? Is there one person in your life that if you were really struggling with something, if an addiction was starting to take hold, that you could go to that person and you could confess and you go, hey, here's what I'm really struggling with. Can you pray for me? Can you help me? If not, you need to join a small group. You need to find some people who can pray for you and help you grow in your faith. You need to find a friend that you can get together with for breakfast on a monthly basis and just do a Bible study together. Again, look at what Jenny Allen says in her quote. Ask your neighbor to run to the mall with you. Save a seat at church for someone. Swap childcare instead of hiring a sitter. Ask a friend to go to chemo with you. She says, tell someone that you need a training partner for a race. Ask for advice. In other words, what she's saying is this. You've got to be intentional. Your ability to reach your potential in life is going to be directly related to the people that you've surrounded yourself with. Your ability to fulfill God's purpose for your life is going to be related to the people that you surround yourself with. Solomon says, you want to be wise. We got to start walking with some wise people. You want to become a better dad. You got to hang out with some great dads. You want to be a better mom. Go ahead and read a book about that. That'd be a good thing. But you need to hang out with some great moms. You want to get closer to Jesus Christ this year. You got to spend time with people who have a real relationship with God. You want to become a better CEO, leader, teacher, athlete. You've got to spend time with people who can help you get there. Let me ask you, what is your goal this year? And then I want you to think of one person 
who can help you reach that goal, you've got to ask who's helping. Here's the third question to ask yourself. Who's steering? Who's steering? This past summer, I, for my wife's birthday, we rented out some canoes. We were going around the lakes over to this dam, and we had a picnic over there. And I've realized that one of the most frustrating things in life is when you're in a canoe with someone who's not pulling their weight. And they're like the most frustrating. I'm in the back just doing everything I can, and I look at my son who's in front of me, and he's just like, da, 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 da. And then he'd look around and play with some. And I'm like, and I realized, though, that everybody's motivated by something. Because the moment I would say to him, hey, look, your brother's catching up to you. He was like the roadrunner. I mean, it was like, we just take off. But on the way back, my son said, hey, can I be in the back? And the back of the canoe is the person who steers. That's the person who kind of charts the course and the direction of the canoe. And I was a little worried about this, but I thought, you know what? You got to learn at some point. We start out and we basically circle the bay and crash into some cattails. That was our start. We finally made it about 100 yards over to this bridge that runs underneath County Road 14. And there were some people underneath the bridge who were fishing. And I kept yelling at my son. I'm like, turn us, turn us. J-stroke, right side, right side. We went smashing into the shore and chased off every fish that was possibly there. One of the fishermen who looked like he had been catching more coors than catfish that day <laughs> said to me, you know, they got a canoe class up at the... Da, 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 da. I didn't even hear where he said it was. I said, unless that class starts in two minutes underneath this bridge, it's not going to help me a whole lot, is it? Thinking to myself, zip it, buddy. This is not what I need right now. But finally, my son figured it out, and we were able to get where we wanted to go. But I was thinking about this analogy afterwards because I think a lot of people go through life, and they zig, and they zag, and they crash, and they get stuck. And it's not because they're not trying. I mean, they're trying as hard as they possibly can. They're paddling and doing everything they can. The problem is not that they're not paddling. The problem is that God's not steering. God's in the boat someplace. He might be in the front of the boat, middle of the boat. But God is not in the back of the boat steering and charting the direction of your life. Look at what Solomon says in Proverbs 3, verse 5. He says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. What does he mean, he will make your path straight? I mean, I remember thinking that for the first time, and when I was a new believer, I thought he means he's going to make my life perfect. Path straight means God's going to make my life perfect. I've soon found that that is absolutely not true. In fact, I was listening to a podcast by singer and songwriter Stephen Curtis Chapman. And if you don't know his story, his five-year-old daughter was playing in the driveway of his house when his teenage son pulled up in their SUV. And she went running out to meet him, and the son didn't see her. And he struck her, and she died. I'm listening to him on this podcast, and I think if you asked him, has your life been perfect, he would say, no, absolutely not. But if you asked him, has God made your path straight, I think he would say yes. He talked about how he's learned to trust God and lean on God in ways that he never thought possible in your life. See, friends, there are some of us here today, and you're going through something right now. You're going through a zig. You're going through a zag. Something doesn't, and you're like, God, why is this happening to me? 
This is not what I wanted for my life. And God says, if you will trust in me, if you will lean on me, if you will submit to me, I'm gonna make your path straight. Not perfect, but I'm gonna make your path straight to me, straight to my love, straight to my mercy, straight to my grace. I am going to give you what you need. Now, on the other hand, if you're here today and your life feels like you're zigging and zagging and going in circles, but you're not trusting in the Lord, then maybe it is because you're going in circles. Because look at the conditional nature of this verse. He says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him. And then he will make your path straight. It's a conditional promise. Here's the problem with the world we live in today. If I went up to anybody on the street and I said, hey, I want to live a purpose-filled life. I want to live a straight life. How do I do that? They're not going to tell me this. They're not going to say, trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. Here's what they're going to say. They're going to say, be yourself. You just got to be yourself. You just got to love yourself. You just got to believe in yourself. And if you do that, your path's going to be straight. Notice what's missing from that advice. Relationships. First with God and then with other people. It's why people say things like, you don't need God. That's, that's just a crutch in your life. You don't need other people. Them's, them's just a bunch of haters. If you just be yourself, love yourself, believe in yourself, well, then your path is going to be straight. Look at what best-selling author Henry Cloud and leading psychologist says about this. He says, just telling someone to love themselves isn't merely unhelpful. It's the wrong message entirely. I remember hearing, reading that for the first time. And I thought, you know, this guy's an expert, but... I mean, that's what everybody says to do, right? He goes on and explains. He says, love does not begin with oneself. Love begins by receiving love, by internalizing it. In other words, you can't work up love in yourself. You have to receive it from an outside source. Question, is there an outside source that you could receive the love that you need in your life? And if you're not a follower of Christ or you're not sure what you believe, you better have great parents who just love you perfectly. You better have a spouse who meets your every need and kids who never disappoint you because you need other people to fill up your love bucket. But look at what the Bible says about our relationship with God. It says, dear friends, let us continue to love one another. If I could give our country one message right now, it would be this, love one another. Even people you radically disagree with. But how does that happen? Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Maybe this analogy will help a little bit. Some of us are kind of like this cup. And you came into church today feeling extremely empty. And, and just feeling like, I don't know how to be filled up with God's love and God's presence. I just don't feel it. What I feel is empty. And the reality is you can't fill up your own cup any more than my car can fill up itself. I mean, I've never been driving in my car and seen it go from E to F just on its own. Whoa, it just filled itself up. No, I need to slow down. I need to stop. I need to fill that car up with an outside source. And in the very same way, you can't fill yourself up. You can't fill yourself up with love, but here's what you can do. You can slow down. You can spend time with God. And you can allow his love to begin to fill up your life. And here's what happens when, when that happens in your life. God just keeps filling. And pretty soon, you've got an overflow of love that begins to spill off onto other people in your life. 
John says, love one another. And you do that by receiving God's love. Here's my question for you. Do you have that love in your life today? Have you received that love in your life? I got an email from a 19-year-old girl recently, and whenever I get an email from someone in their teens or 20s, I'm always just so inspired to see what God is doing in people's lives. And she talked about how when she was in middle school and high school, she just lost her way. She said, I started to drink and smoke and hang out with the popular crowd because that's what I thought was going to fill me up. I was empty, and I thought that would fill me up. She said, I was wrong. I was more lost and more empty than ever before. She said, then I met this girl who had a real relationship with God, and she would text me Bible verses. And I would look at her life, and I would think, man, I wish I had that presence of God in my life like she has it in hers. I wish I had the love of God in my life like she has it in hers, but she said, I didn't know how to get it. She said, then one day I came to Eagle Brook, and at the end of the message, there was a prayer. So it was just a really simple prayer to confess my sin and to start a relationship with God. And I want you to read, or I want to read to you what she wrote so you can hear things in her own words. But she said this. She said, the prayer was asking God for a relationship and for forgiveness of our sins. As I prayed that prayer, I was filled with a sense of peace and joy, but also sadness. The peace and joy that I felt was the sense of knowing that God had just reached out to touch me and to say, yes, I will have a relationship with you. I knew right then and there, she writes, that I had just started a relationship with him. What if there are some of us here today? And what you need is for God to just reach down and touch you. That you've been going through something recently and you just need to know that God's with you and he's present and he just wants to reach down and touch you with his love. She goes on and she says this, the sadness came from wondering how I lived so long without that relationship. I had been so lost and lonely and I was searching for this happiness, this sense of peace and joy and all I had to do was to pray for my sins and ask God for a relationship. I asked her if I could share that email with you because I was so struck by her last line. She said, all I had to do was just pray for the forgiveness of sins and to ask God for a relationship. And maybe you're here today and you want that happiness, you want that joy, you want that purpose in your life, but there's just a feeling of emptiness right now. You're just one prayer away from a relationship with the God who created you. See, throughout this series, we've been talking about purpose. And some of you have been thinking, I'm going to start a business, or I'm going to write a book, or I'm going to do something like that. But I just need you to know as we close out this series, you will not find purpose in your life apart from your creator. That the purpose of this table and the purpose of this chair came from the mind of their creator. Their creator said, I'm going to create something that someone can sit on and that's the purpose of that chair. God had a purpose for you. And it started in the mind of your creator. The Bible says that before you were even born, God knew you in your mother's womb. He knew you before the divorce. He knew you before the childhood. He knew you before the death. He knew you 
and he had a purpose and a plan for your life. But some people say, you know, I want that presence of God. I want him in my life. But they've never had that salvation moment where they've confessed their sins and they've put their faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, you can't have one without the other. So today I wanna to give you an opportunity, just like my 19-year-old friend, to confess your sin, to put your faith in Jesus Christ, and to start a relationship with God that will give you purpose forever. See, if you don't believe in God, I mean, the best you can do is to make this world a little bit better for the next generation. And they'll make it a little bit better for the next generation, the next generation, and then the world will end. And there really won't be a whole lot of purpose in anyone's life. But the message of Jesus Christ is that there is an eternal purpose that goes beyond this life that every single person can have today. Your purpose is to know and to love God. And you can begin that relationship right now. So at all of our campuses, if you would remain seated, and I would just ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And I want to give you an opportunity to pray that prayer and to start that relationship. God, there are some of us here today who we've never had that salvation moment of confessing our sins and asking you for a relationship. God, right now in the quietness of their own mind, they're just going to pray with me. God, I, I recognize that I have sinned against you. God, I'm sorry. I've ignored you. I haven't given you the, the love and the value that you deserve. But God, right now, I ask for the forgiveness of my sins. And I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I believe that he died to pay the penalty for my sins he overcame death so that one day I too could overcome death. God, right now I make him the Lord of my life. And I promise I will follow him from this day forward. God, there are others of us here who we've prayed a prayer like that. We, we have faith in Christ. But maybe we've been struggling to figure out what our purpose is. Maybe we're just home with the kids and it feels like every day we're just cleaning up the same mess. Or, or maybe we're at work and we're just sitting at the same desk doing the same thing, making money for the same company. God, would you speak to us about what our true purpose in life is? It's to know you. It's to love you. It's to help lead other people to you. God, no matter what our job is, no matter what our life is like, we can fulfill the purpose for which you created us. God, would you bring us back to that purpose today? Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, real quick, before you take off, if you prayed that prayer, I don't want you just to pray a prayer and move on with your life. I would love for you to start a relationship with God, and that will take time from this day forward. If you prayed that prayer, text the word BELIEVE to 555-888 or stop off at the Next Steps area at your campus. We just have free Bible, free resources that we really want to put in your hands. Have a great weekend, everybody.